0: And now back to Lifeline with
1: Craig Roberts.
0: We are back to our conversation and Samuel Williamson, our guest today, his new book, Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere. Now, Samuel, God being God, he can choose to communicate by any means he desires. We'll recall a time when he chose to communicate through a burning bush, as Moses had the experience. Uh, we, We know that he could open up the Heavens was a thunderous voice, but instead, for the most part, for most believers, um, rather than the loud thundering voice that we would know as it shook us to our very core, that it was clearly the voice of God. Instead, God chooses to speak in that that still small voice, as Scripture tells us. Why is that? Is that is that it's got to be? Pr- God is a very purposeful God. There's got to be a reason behind that.
1: I, I think there's two reasons, Craig and. I think the first is, we're all familiar with a passage in 1 Kings, I think it's 19, but it might be 20, where God speaks to Elijah out of a still small voice. But the background of that is, Elijah's just been involved in one of the greatest miracles God does in the Old Testament. You know, there's this big contest between the prophet of Baal and the prophet of God, Elijah, and Elijah builds this. You know, he puts, he puts together an altar, and he puts together the wood on it, he puts a sacrifice on it, and God sends a fiery bolt down from heaven burns up the sacrifice and the wood and the water and the stones and even the earth. And nobody changes. I mean, Elijah is expecting the people to rise up against Ahab and Jezebel. You know, If not rise up, at least he's expecting some some protesters out front saying, "We want the Lord," you know, "We want the Lord," but nothing happens, and and Elijah becomes terribly depressed, and he goes down to Mount Sinai, and that's where it's very interesting. God says, "An earthquake came by, but there was no, but God was not in the earthquake. A whirlwind came by, and God was not in the earthquake in the whirlwind, and a fire came by, and God was not in the fire." And the thing that's so funny is that when God spoke to Moses, he spoke out of the fiery bush, and we spoke out of fire. When God spoke on Mount Sinai to the people of Israel, he spoke out of an earthquake. And when God spoke to Job, he did speak out of a whirlwind, so it's not that God doesn't speak in those things. But I think the deliberate contrast with this huge, spectacular miracle and not changing people's hearts is part of God's point when he finally says, and then God spoke in a still, small voice. I don't think the spectacular changes us, Craig. I mean, I wish I could say if I had something spectacular it would change me, but I really think it's the still, small, quiet, conversational voice of God every day that changes my heart. And, and I would think the big miracles do, but, you know, Jesus did all kinds of miracles, and the Pharisees didn't change their minds. And, and so I, I really do think God is saying... There's a part of us humans, maybe us humans in the Western world especially, there's a part of us that wants the spectacular and the miraculous. And I believe in the spectacular and miraculous. Please don't misunderstand me. But I think the thing that changes my heart is when I sit in my chair and I hear God say, you know, Sam, I think you were ignoring your wife. I think you should go repent to her. And it's a quiet, calm voice that has a steady assurance in his voice. And so I think God really... I think God has an invitation. So my first reason that God speaks out of the still small voice instead of the spectacular is I think that's the way humans work. I would say the second reason is I think God likes us to seek him. And sometimes when we seek the spectacular, we're we're hoping for an emotional experience more than just to be touched by the hand and the heart and the tongue of God. So he wants us to... Can. I'm sorry for that long answer, Greg. I really appreciate your guidance. No,
0: it, it's an appropriate answer, and I think it also puts things in perspective, and that is to recognize, too, that we serve a holy and righteous God. Amen. Um, okay. Amen. That, I'm really serious. That, that, that sense of—and I think we've, we've, we've lost this in in the modern-day world—that that sense of, for example, what it meant to be a priest, to enter into the holy of holies— and that tremendous sense of of respect and reverence to realize that the priest was entering into the very presence of God. Uh, people forget that so much so, um, and, and Catholics listening will appreciate this, um, a bell is rung uh, during the consecration of the host uh, during Mass, and um, a bell was also um, uh, part of what happened during the, the sacrifice that would take place inside of the Holy of Holies. And a rope was tied around the ankle of the priest. Absolutely. Should, should the priest be found with sin and God strike him dead as being unfit to be in his presence and to offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel so that they could literally pull the priest out?
1: Because if they went in there, they would be struck.
0: Exactly right. So I think we've lost that sense of, of, of awe in the presence of God and in realizing that God doesn't have to raise his voice to us. He is God.
1: Well, and you know, the one time that God did handwriting on the wall, you know, we all talk about it just about handwriting on the wall. The one time God wrote on the wall, the message basically was King Belshazzar, you're going to die tonight. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think I can live without handwriting on the wall tonight. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, you're, you're right. And the other notion here, too, and I learned this years ago in, in debate um, we have a tendency, human beings, uh, we saw this uh, just last night. You'll probably see it again on Sunday during the debates. As we're trying to, out of frustration, get our point across, we tend to think if we lay, raise our voices, you'll hear us. Yeah, right. And yet, I learned many, many years ago that if you really want to get the most important point across, don't raise your voice, instead, lower your voice, Mm. and people will lean in and pay more attention. And I think perhaps God is using the same principle with us. He wants us to pay attention, to recognize who he is in the splendor and glory of all of his grace and righteousness and holiness, and realize that he does care. And not only does he care, and not only does he want to hear from us, but he also wants us to hear from him as we engage in that that dialogue or that conversation, uh, as you call it in the title of the book, Samuel, so that in and through that, uh, we can not only recognize his voice, but also walk in a deeper level of fellowship and pure relationship with Tim that perhaps a lot of us have never never taken it to that level, never really experienced.
1: I agree with you completely. I, I, you know, Christianity is about relationship. And and relationship, the heart and soul relationship is really the normal life. It's, it's not, the spectacular is great. You know, don't, don't don't deny me any of the spectacular but the heart and soul of a relationship is just the normal everyday faithful talking and being together and and really that's what makes life rich and i think that's what god is inviting us into i i believe god wants us to hear his voice every day almost every day there's there's times where he might be silent cuz he can't tell us something but i i really believe that god has something for us and that as, as you're talking about he wants us, he wants us to be able to enter into the holy of holies cuz the temple curtain was torn. That's right. So that we can enter back into a relationship with Him that, that was lost in the Garden of Eden.
0: And you know, we can probably talk to a lot of wives out there who would say their husbands never learned to listen, and perhaps vice versa. <laughs> uh, God, I please think don't it's,
1: call my wife. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She's online too. You say? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I think though that that, that we can also uh, learn a lot from that 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 God perhaps would observe that we've never learned to listen to him. We talk a lot about wanting to hear from God, but do we really want to hear from God? Do we want to not only be vulnerable at that level, but take the time to walk in the fellowship and to have the kind of, of intimacy with God that he really wants, not only of us, but for us? It's a compelling read and can be a life-changing one for you. Hearing God in Conversation. How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere. Newly published by Kriegel Publishers. You'll find it available available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through the usual suspects, Amazon.com, and at Samuel's website, BeliefsoftheHeart.com. That's BeliefsoftheHeart.com. And our thanks to Samuel Williamson for being with us on this segment of Lifeline.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Worry is an area in my Christian walk that I will admit I struggle with, not even just from time to time, sometimes almost continuously. And let's face it, these days there's a big laundry list of things that we can all be worried about. Now, it's not just limited to, will the Giants win the playoffs? (laughs) But it's things like financial problems, family troubles, health problems, things of this sort. And suddenly we find ourselves in a whole heap of worry. But what does Jesus say about worry? Well, he tells us, first off, in Matthew 6 and 25, not to be anxious about life, not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or about our body or what you're going to wear. You have to um, set aside concerns over things like food. In fact, realize that even as God cares for the birds of the air, as they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them, So too, then, should we recognize that we are of greater value than they and therefore should recognize that being anxious cannot add even a single hour to our lifespan. In fact, medical doctors will often tell you it can detract from your physical health. So how do we deal with worry and being anxious in life? Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry is the title of a new book by Amy Simpson. And Amy, great to have you on the program.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here with you.
0: Well, this is a topic I think all of us uh, deal with at one layer or another. I guess maybe the big room divider here would be those that um, that have a healthy amount of worry. Um I think sometimes that fight flight response to things going on around us is an important one to, to have. And, but then, of course, there's the other side of this coin, and that is when worry becomes excessive. It's no longer normal. It is over-concern, or, or maybe a combination of a couple of things. Over-concern, and as you suggest in the book, uh, coupled with some under-trust.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I do feel like it's important to make some distinctions, be, you know, because um, what, what I'm talking about here is not pathological anxiety, it's not, um, you know, an anxiety disorder which really needs to be addressed through maybe counseling, um, sometimes medication, sometimes both, um, but really the choice to engage in worry. And you're right, anxiety is, uh, and fear are created to be healthy tools for us. They can help keep us safe, they can help us make wise decisions and avoid situations that we should avoid Um, Sometimes I think when people think they need to address the problem of worry in their lives, they really try to get rid of all fear and anxiety. And, you know, we don't need to rid ourselves of those things completely. They are positive, healthy tools. But worry, you know, just pointlessly worrying about something is different. And, you know, choosing to engage in that behavior does reflect, um, I think, often reflect a belief in our lives that needs to be corrected.
0: Let's drill down to some important definitions here. First, you make a distinction, I think, that it it can be a decision. This is something that we engage in, that there is an aspect of this that that is voluntary. Is that so?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now, with something like an anxiety disorder, the anxious response, that fight or flight, is not voluntary. And even with someone who has an anxiety disorder, that's not voluntary. It's really a healthy, normal process that's working too well. It's working overtime. And the body or the brain doesn't know when to shut it off, and that's different. What I'm talking about is the worry that we do engage in voluntarily, even if it's so habitual that we think we're not choosing to do it. It is an action, whether we realize it or not, and it is something that we can um, can address. It, you know, it's not out of our control.
0: Is, is there an aspect of this which is um, passed on long through family lines? And I ask that question because. Oftentimes, I think of people that kind of tend to uh, uh, fit into that so-called worry war category that might tend to come from a family where it was very common. You know, dad worried about finances, mother worried about whether or not the bills were going to be paid on time, or sometimes whether or not dinner was undercooked or overcooked. I mean, it it can go from the sublime, I suppose, to the ridiculous. Do we tend to sometimes model that if we've seen um, a parent in our uh, youth who excessively gave time over to worry? Do we tend to sometimes pick up those habits?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Just like any other behavior or any other habit, um, worry can be modeled for us. And and unfortunately, as we engage in it and indulge it, we um, make it more likely that it will become habitual, maybe even get to a point where it's... um, really destructive to our health or it feels like something we can't control.
0: And and more than that, as your book goes into in great detail, it can go beyond something that is uh, simply um, obsessive to the destructive power of worry that can not only uh, overcome and impact our relationships with um, our spouses or our children, but even ultimately have a negative impact on our relationship with God.
2: Yeah, exactly. Worry is really I consider it really an act of rebellion on our part. Um, first, you know, first of all, doing something that God has has asked us not to do, asked His people not to do, um, but also, you know, choosing to often, like I said, there's a belief behind that worry. So often, it's a, a belief that is something like, um, I believe the world is my responsibility, <laughs> or I believe God is not strong enough to handle this, or um, you know, I'm I'm worrying because I'm trying to see into the future. I'm trying to understand what's going to happen so that I can decide what I should do now. And that's not something that God has given us. You know, he hasn't given us the future. So sometimes we are trying to, when we, we worry, we are actually trying to undermine the, the created order, the limitations that God has placed on us, um, the dramatic... Uh, distance between us and him, as far as how much higher his ways are than our ways.
0: Is there a direct correlation too, based on your research on this book, Amy, between um, worry and the the desire to want to control the future, um, pitted against our ability to trust God?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the the future is one of the, our greatest sources of worry, and when we stop to think about what exactly we're worrying over. When we say we worry about um, what's going to become of our kids or our jobs or um, the economy or something like that, often we are worrying about tomorrow or next year or five years down the road. And what we're really doing is, again, trying to live in a place we can't live, trying to access something that God has not given us. And what that does in effect is pull us away from what he has given us. You know, it's a distraction from the present, um from what God has placed in front of us and called us to where in favor of something that he has not given us mm. and that may never be ours
0: and may also therefore um, potentially drive a, a wedge between ourselves and god too because we're we're trying to control something that he has not given us control over and and obviously then too demonstrative of maybe a notion a little bit of that that sin nature creeping in where we feel as if we can do a better job controlling things than god himself
2: yes absolutely sometimes it's a problem of of misunderstanding ownership as well you know Mm. we tend to think that we own the people and possessions in our lives and we don't Um, scripture teaches very clearly that everything and everyone belongs to god and when we get that confused and begin to think that you know we really have ownership and we can't afford to lose the things we have or um, you know that we are responsible for our children or our spouses or our employees or the other people in our lives we begin to take on, again, a measure of control that's inappropriate for us and, and uh, sort of forget or sideline the role that God plays as, as our sovereign God.
0: We're visiting today with Amy Simpson, a look at anxious choosing faith in a world of worry. A brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig
0: Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. On a topic I think that impacts a lot of us, it's one perhaps that uh, you struggle with. I know it's one that I struggle with, and that is the issue of worry. Family troubles, financial problems, whatever it might be, you worry. But what does that say of your relationship with God? And how do we address the destructive power of worry? That's what we're dealing with today. Her new book, Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry. Jack in San Jose. Jack, hello. Welcome. Come on in with your comment or question for Amy Simpson.
3: Thank you, Amy, for uh, thank you, KFAX, for taking my calls. Um, I do have uh, a lot of anxiety and worries. Well, I did have them in the past, and I uh, came across my Christian mentor gave me Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that I have practically memorized that verse, and I uh, recite that always as far as uh, taking my memory, my uh, worries, and just submit them to God and let Him take care of all the problems that I'm uh, facing. Pretty much, we we all created worry-free, uh, I mean, uh, we're filled with worries around us. We worry just about everything. And we think that, you know, we want to have a control of our life, and we want to be in charge of it, we want to be in control of it, but, and that's where we lose it.
0: You know we do, and that's an excellent observation, Jack. And maybe maybe you can address that. It's not that having concerns and worries are are not normal. Um, that's not something that we should say. Oh, I think worried about something. I got to go and confess. Uh, there's a healthy degree of worry. There's a natural degree of worry. But it's what we do with it. It's how we respond. And as the caller suggests, uh, being able to surrender to Scripture and surrender to God, and and use many scriptures that exhort us about how important it is to not worry and to surrender those concerns to God can really be a big key toward getting out from underneath the destructive power of worry, can't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's important to recognize that any habit of ours, any behavior, is really a reflection of, of something we believe. And so if we're you know if we have a habit of worry, we're worrying destructively, we need to examine, you know, what's the belief behind that and the way to combat that belief is to reaffirm what is actually true you know we're believing something probably that's false like i'm in charge of the world or you know everything's up to me or i can control this um or i can do a better job than god can and we need to tell ourselves things that are actually true and and reciting scripture is a a wonderful way to do that because those are god's words and they are true
0: all right. We well, thank you so much, Jack, for your call. That leaves the line open at 888 eight eight F O R K F A X. Is there a healthy degree of worry, Amy? And if so, how do we we keep that in balance? I mean, for example, there are days when I've left the house and I I get halfway down the street and I worry, hmm, did I did I remember to turn off the stove? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I right. mean, there are certain types of worry that I would seem would seem to me can be can be healthy if they're kept in balance.
2: Yeah, and I would I would really actually make a differentiation between um, there between worry and anxiety because I would say that, you know, there's a healthy that's a healthy degree of anxiety. You know, that um, if we're not sure whether we turned off the stove, we should we should wonder about that. We should have a, a level of anxiety about that that will drive us to either go back and turn it off or turn it off next time. You know, it helps us to make wise decisions to anticipate things that might happen. Um, but if you were if you were to not do anything about that, and you were just to simply worry about it all day, mm. you know that's not a healthy response, and that's not a productive response. You're not actually accomplishing anything. Um, to address that problem. You're so, so
0: when worry comes about, stuff. then there, there needs to be some kind of responsive action to it, not just to continue and wring your hands and and uh, pace the floor, but to either surrender over to God or, you know, again in the example, gee, I left the house. I wonder if I turned the stove off. I'm worried about that. Well, yeah, I can.
2: sometimes we're worrying because we're 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 putting off taking action on something we actually should should do, and we worry about it instead.
0: Um, and God, God, I would suspect, then, always wants us to take action, whether it's responsive, like turning the car back around and heading home and double-checking and finding out, oh, guess what, I did forget to turn off the stove, or putting it in proper perspective and saying, you know what, uh, this is a crippling obsession, uh, it is threatening my well-being, I am trying to control something in the future. Right. that I cannot control, and I need to therefore take positive steps, positive action to surrender that to God.
2: Exactly, and sometimes it is a matter of, of acknowledging that we can't actually take any action. It may There may be a situation that we actually don't have the power to, um, to change or to control, and in those cases we need to acknowledge. And, you know, we often speak of surrendering control to God, but what we're really doing when we do that is um, we're not surrendering anything. We're just acknowledging what's already true. You know, we're not giving God... Um the responsibility for for the world, he already has it, so we just need to submit ourselves to that.
0: It's a little bit of again a, a sin nature here too, isn't it? because we're trying to wrestle from God control over things over which we have no control.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's you know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden really in, in trying to be be like God or take on God's um, place in relationship to the universe, and we simply we simply don't have that that power and and we simply have not been given control over everything and thank god that we have not been (laughs) um you know because we certainly would not make it better
0: we're visiting with Amy Simpson, author of Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, something that all of us need to take a look at. I mean, there's a whole ton out there to be worried about. The problem is that sometimes we don't keep it in proper perspective. We allow the, the obsessive nature of worry to become destructive. And, of course, that destructiveness can not only be crippling from an emotional standpoint, but also destructive in terms of the impact that it has on our relationships, ultimately, our relationship with God, because as Amy suggests, oftentimes this issue of worry is one where we we're trying to control something that we cannot control, that is uniquely in the hands of God. And we're suggesting maybe what through worry that we can do a better job than he can. We might not articulate it that way, but maybe our actions would suggest otherwise. A brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And
1: now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Well, as we have suggested on today's program, there are a lot of reasons why and things going on in the world around us and in your own personal life to worry. Lots of reasons to worry, all except one, and that is that God... It commands us not to worry. In fact, as as suggested by our guest today, we need to take a a strong look at our relationship with him and trust issues if we become overwhelmed by worry. And toward that end, this is an interesting topic in in your own personal life. Um, Amy, how have you struggled with this?
2: Yeah, I mean, this book really comes out of my own experience. I I have really spent a lifetime being a, a worried and anxious person, Um, but not really recognizing it for what it was, because I could always point to somebody else around me who was more worried than I was. Um, But God just really um, began to open my eyes to my own worry habits a few years ago when I was um, sitting in a a church service, and and I heard uh, Isaiah 40 being read. And, And for some reason, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've heard these passages many times, but for some reason I heard them, heard this in a new way. And and in Isaiah 40, when it talks about, God says, you know, who can compare to me? Who is like me? No one. I am, you know, so strong and so mighty that I know all of the stars by name. And because of me, not one of them is missing. And I, for some reason, I, that just hit home for me in a way it hadn't before, where I realized, you know, this this God who is talking to his people in ancient times through the prophet Isaiah is the same God that I claim to trust and to worship. Yeah. And here I am kind of stewing in worry and in anxiety and, and trying to control things that are outside my control. And uh, you know if he is keeping track of all the stars and he knows all of them by name, boy, why do I think that I can't trust him with the things that that worry me and that threaten to overwhelm me? So I, I, you know I've been on a journey with that and God has been addressing that with me and and writing this book project, you know is a, a part of that as well. So, I am still on that journey. I am certainly not worry-free, um, but God, God's changing my habits, and my heart's there, and He's doing it really through addressing my, the beliefs that
0: fuel my worry. Is a big part of this, too, about priority and perspective? I asked that question because it were reminded of um, what Jesus says in Luke twelve twenty two, where he says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough to eat or clothes to wear. Life is more than food, your body more than clothing. Don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Therefore, seek the kingdom of God first above all else, and he will give you everything that you need. And the reference there to unbelievers puts this in perspective, doesn't it? Worry is what the world does. Worry, and obsessively so, is not what we as Christians should do.
2: Right, we are called to live differently, and uh, we live in a very worried world. We live in a culture that not only worries a lot, but also values worry as a way to show that we're important, we're engaged, we care about the world around us, and is suspicious of people who are at peace. But we are called to live at peace um, and to live a life of faith and trust, and that is a that is a, a thing that will make us stand out as Christians in this world. And you're right; it sometimes it is a matter of. Um, it's certainly a matter of perspective. Sometimes it's a matter of priority as well, because worry can be a way um, of revealing to us that we are prioritizing our own concerns above those of God's. Mm. And sometimes, just a matter of focusing on, okay, what is important to God in this situation, can completely flip our perspective and make us realize that we are worrying over things that, you know, in in God's <laughs> um, economy. Aren't, don't matter that much.
0: The, the bigger perspective, I mean, because otherwise yeah. we can be crippled as much by worry as by spiritual myopia—that—that—that that, that sense of 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 short-sightedness or narrow-sidedness that doesn't allow us to look beyond. The current problem. And again, I want to be careful in underscoring that there are oftentimes uh, worries that come along over legitimate things, mm-hmm. making sure that you um, have enough money to pay the mortgage to keep a roof over the head of your children if your husband has lost his job or your wife has lost her job. That's a legitimate concern. Definitely. And yet it shouldn't be a crippling one. And if we allow it to do so, doesn't that suggest a bit of a spiritual narrow-mindedness here that we think somehow that God can't see above and beyond the totality of all of our needs, including whether or not the rent is paid?
2: Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we get lost in our own uh, perspective and forget that there is a much larger perspective. And, of course, that doesn't mean, you know, I don't mean to minimize the things that, that make us worry. And God doesn't either, really. If you look in Scripture, God never tells us, don't worry because there's nothing to worry about or because the things that you worry about are not unimportant. He says, you know, when He tells His people not to worry in Scripture, He always tells them why. And the reason he gives them is never based in um, their circumstances. It's always based in who he is. It's always that we are not to worry because of who God is. And And so regardless of our circumstances, he is greater than
0: those circumstances. And that really takes us back full circle to the initial portion of our conversation where we made that worry-trust correlation that, that really, at the end of the day, an extreme degree of worry is suggesting an extreme degree of lack of trust, and the ability to supplant worry with trust um, will, will ultimately not only, quite frankly, give us a better night's sleep, but also enrich our spiritual walk and deepen our relationship with Christ.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, and actually, the you know, making a habit of practicing trust rather than, than worrying, sort of replacing the worry with not only... Uh, a change in our beliefs, but a change in our practices, Mm -hmm. can be a powerfully faith-deepening activity. So
0: this is something you have to purpose to do.
2: Yes, it is, especially in a a, a world where, uh, you know, the culture around us encourages us to worry, and a world where there are plenty of, of reasons to be worried. You know, if God is not on his throne, if God is not in charge of this world, and if he doesn't love us, we have every reason in the world to be worried.
0: Otherwise, to recognize that this is not a one-and-done sort of approach, that, in fact, you need to renew your trust in Him, as a previous caller suggested, um, uh, committing to memory certain scriptures that help you gain uh, a proper balance and focus on a relationship and who's really in charge. Because, as Amy points out, if God is not on the throne and God is not in charge, we are in a whole ton of trouble, and therefore you have every reason to worry yourself right into ground. If, however, you believe that God is still on the throne, still in charge, that he is the founder and creator of all that is around us, and there is nothing that is outside of his control, then it's a matter of surrendering the worry over to him, saying no to the enemy who wishes to preoccupy you with worry, and learning to deepen your trust in him. The book is called Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, and the book newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at the Usual Suspects as well as through Amazon.com. Amy also has a website that you can check out, amysimpsononline.com. And Amy, thanks so much for the time and the insights tonight. There's Amy Simpson, Anxious. All right, be anxious for nothing.